Chapter Five of Juggernaut: A Veiled Record. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Juggernaut: A Veiled Record by George Carey Eggleston and Dolores Marborg. Chapter Five. The arrangement between Hildreth and Edgar Brain, by which the young man came into control of the Thebes daily enterprise was a much less definite one in its terms than Abner Hildreth was accustomed to make, except in those cases in which indefiniteness was to his advantage. This was one of those cases. He simply said to Brain, "'Take the establishment and see what you can make of it. You can make it of some good to the town, at any rate, and that's all I care for. I'll pay you a salary if you like.' but you can pocket any profits there are instead, if you prefer that. "'I'll take the profits,' said Edgar. "'Suppose they turn out to be losses?' "'Then the quicker I find out my unfitness, the better. I don't want you to pay me a salary for losing your money.' "'You've got grit, Edgar,' exclaimed the elder man admiringly. "'And you've got go.' I'll stand by you and see you win. You'll need money for a little while to pay running expenses, and you can have it on your own notes till you get the old hulk afloat again. I'll back you. Go in and win. That was all there was of contract between these two. Obviously the education Edgar Brain had received at Hanover College was deficient in certain particulars. The change in the enterprise was immediate. Everybody bought it at first to see what more the young editor would have to say in scarification of Jack Summers, and everybody continued to buy it, because the young editor at once ceased to scarify Summers, flinging him contemptuously aside as something done for, and turning his attention to a more important aspect of the same matter. He wanted to know why Jack Summers had been allowed to maintain a gambling house in Thebes, without disguise and without molestation. He called the public prosecutor by name, and asked him what excuse he had to make for his neglect of his sworn duty. He named the respectable men who had served on the last grand jury, and requested them to say why they had omitted to indict so flagrant an offender. By this time, and it was within the first week of Brain's editorship, the languid contempt hitherto felt for the lifeless newspaper had changed to an eager impatience throughout the town for its appearance each day. At first there was anger everywhere. Two libel suits were brought, but nothing was ever done about them. They were meant to intimidate, and they failed to do it. After a while, the community caught something of the editor's enthusiasm. Clergymen preached from the pulpit on the duties of citizens as grand jurors and public officers. Finally, a new grand jury was assembled, and its first act was to indict Jack Summers, who promptly fled the city. This was but a beginning. Brain struck it wrong whenever he saw indications of it, he introduced the element of detection into his work, and followed up clues in a way to which the good people of Thebes were wholly unaccustomed. 
He did many things merely to excite curiosity and interest. These were harmless fooleries for the most part, and Braine justified them on the ground that they made people read his paper, and thus gave him opportunity for the good work he was doing. It was this that gave him joy. He had power, and he was using it for the public good. He had borrowed little from Hildreth, and had repaid it easily. His newspaper was profitable, and the job printing establishment connected with it was doing all the business of that kind which the city afforded, now that he had added large supplies of type, a ruling machine, and a steam press to its equipment. At the end of two years of hard work, Edgar Brain believed that he had conquered the tools of fortune and power. He regarded himself as the owner of a prosperous and influential newspaper. He had an income sufficient to justify a marriage to which he looked forward with eager longing. He saw no obstacle now between him and fortune. End of chapter 5 Recording by Roger Moline